What is a median? How about an interquartile range? A p-value? Oh, don't, don't even start talking to me about p-values. We don't want to get a fight going here. These often feel like very abstract concepts that are, are difficult to imagine and, and also difficult to communicate. There are aspects of painting these concepts with words that are a critical part of this. And that could be whether you're teaching a concept like this in American Sign Language, or you're translating these ideas into a comic for a larger community, a larger audience. Uh, I'm John Baylor. Stats and Stories is a production of Miami Verse Departments of Statistics and Media Journalism and Film, as well as the American Statistical Association. Rosemary Pennington is away. My guest today on Stats and Stories is freelance science writer and Gallaudet University professor Regina Nuzzo. She has a PhD from Stanford, a graduate degree in science journalism from the University of California, Santa Cruz, and her writings have been published on science and medicine, health, statistics, and the process of scientific research in a variety of outlets, ranging from Scientific American, Nature, ESPN, and the Los Angeles Times as well. Uh, she now teaches statistics in American Sign Language and has co-authored a comic. I mean, go go figure. I mean, you know, a statistician involved in a comic? That Just say it ain't so. Well, Regina, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Thanks so much for being here. Oh, this is a, it's great to have you. And, and you know, I, I, I'm sure I didn't do justice to the richness of, of ways that, that you think about these ideas. But, but I, I did mention a couple of things that, that you do routinely in terms of communicating statistics. One has been translating concepts to a comic, as I mentioned at the end, but also in terms of your teaching in American Sign Language. Could, could you just talk a little bit about some of the challenges of making these abstract concepts into to kind of visually communicated ideas? Yeah, sure. So I think my background teaching at Gallaudet, teaching in ASL really shaped how I think about communicating statistical ideas. So oh, really? ASL is a very concrete language. So American Sign Language, it's up in the air. I always think of it as being four-dimensional because you've got the three dimensions of space and time. And to me, English, written or spoken English, feels very linear. It's word after word after word. And ASL doesn't really work that way. It's very spatial. And it works best when you're showing pictures, when you're showing action, actually. Um, and I was not fluent in ASL, really, before I started teaching at Gallaudet. So I had to learn how to do this how to take these statistical ideas and throw them up in the air. Oh, wow. I, I, I love that image. And, and you know, it's, 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 uh, I guess it's ironic that we're, we're uh, talking about these, these spatial visual communications on an audio podcast. I you know, apologies to the listeners, but, you know, uh, I, I guess the best thing to do would be to put on some Pink Floyd at this point and, 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 and listen to the show as well with that in the background, <laughs> just to get yourself in this mindset. So, so Regina, could you help with an example of, of an idea and, and paint a picture with words of how that was communicated. Yeah, so an example of that, um, let's say we want to talk about correlation. Okay. Um, so the word correlation, correlation. okay, that's, that's kind of interesting. You're talking about two things that, that relate together, but how can you make that visual? And, and the choice that I'm using to make that visual really can shape how people are thinking about correlation. Oh. For example, am I showing it as a scatter plot, right? Am I showing a bunch of dots 
and kind of using that as the basis for correlation. Am I showing a straight line or a curvy line? So when I arrived at Gallaudet, the typical sign for correlation was something that kind of involved, um, it was akin to the word for just relationship or, mm-hmm. um, or association or togetherness combining. And it didn't really convey this idea of a line, a linear thing. Oh. So I teamed up with a deaf studies ASL expert and uh, one of my statistics students and said, you know, guys, let's get together and talk about what correlation really means. What's the best way to throw that up in the air and show it? And we developed a new sign for it. Oh, cool. Yeah. And and I feel like the words that we use help make these ideas more solid in people's minds. And so so I'm I'm proud. That's just one sign. I'd love to do that with all the stats vocabulary, but we've got that. Could you describe that sign for us for, you know, in that spirit of painting the picture? Is that? Oh, oh, no. Now we're going from. ASL to, to words, a picture's worth a thousand words. Oh, I mean, no. be signing it. it. I'm using both my hands. So it's talking about two variables. Okay. And I have them coming together and pointing together. So they're coming from two different areas in space and then coming together and kind of making a, a direction. And the nice thing about Uh, ASL is that you can easily modify things. So if I want to show that it's a positive correlation or a negative correlation, then I can do that just by changing the position and the direction. Exactly, exactly. So, um, so this is nice. The, the old sign was something that uh, didn't really convey the directionality, and it also didn't convey this idea of a straight line. And I really wanted my students to realize when we're talking about linear correlation. Okay, so so now you're you're now I, now I'm imagining. Okay, how you've talked about directionality that you've captured in this sign that you developed. How about this this the magnitude, the strength of this linear relationship? I wish I wish I could do that. You know, that's very. In, oh, now you're getting me thinking. So now, so now I'm thinking about kind of whether they're right. You know, how uh, how much? Can't see. You know, we're just we're Regina and I are just making all these gestures at each other, and they're all they're all kind <laughs> and productive, by the way. So. <laughs> and they uh, right, and the, and they're very good, right? So you can um, you can actually show that in ASL through uh, kind of how much you're emphasizing, um, how much kind of like muscular tension you're bringing to the sign, so you can convey the the strength that way. Uh, yeah, it sounds like there's there's very much an, uh, this emotive component to the gesture sounds really really fascinating as part of the way in which that's conveyed. It is, you know, that frustrated me when I first started teaching at Gallaudet, um, this idea that ASL had to have emotion with it because, mm-hmm. you know, X plus three equals five. There's not really a whole lot of emotion going on in there. Well, I'm surprised that it's five. Um, <laughs> but the, the more I understood the language, the more I saw the, the kind of the parallels with statistics and math. Uh-huh. It's a very, it's a very movement oriented language. So when you think about, you know, X plus three equals five, it's X, but then you're taking something else. You're taking, you have this, this unknown in the hand, and then you're bringing three things to it. And then it becomes what? It becomes five. So mathematical equations in some ways are, are verbs. There are a lot of verbs in there. 
Oh, I, I, I love that. I love that image. If, if I just to, to continue this, this idea of you helped me with thinking about about correlation and sort of the 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 gesture, the sign for making that and also the directionality there and possibly the the issue of kind of how the the the, the magnitude of it is also conveyed. Uh, we often talk in an intro class about you know this this old the old saw of correlation is not causation and you know so so when you go from how you've saw you think about signing a story that's related the what correlation is mm -hmm. how, do you, how do you kind of connect that to this idea of of causation yeah you know this is this is a great question and that makes me want to sit down with my collaborators again and we can um, come up with a better sign for causation because the the typical sign for causation is not really uh, well set up to show the difference between that and and correlation causation is um, it's a little odd but it would be nice if we could set up something where we have correlation and then we have causation off on the other side and you're showing the difference you're showing how causation is one thing leading to another or forcing another and this correlation is two things just happening together at the same time uh, so I'm, I'm curious now when when you were thinking about developing this new sign for correlation how did you how did you evaluate kind of the effectiveness of one sign versus another in terms of communicating that idea yeah, this is where I really relied on my uh, collaborators there because they're both native signers. And just like if we were to make up a word in English, there are certain letter combinations that make more sense than others. And so they have this uh, this deeply embedded sense of, okay, that, that's a proper sign and that's not. Where, where, how you move your hands together, a lot of that has this internal rule. That, that I don't have. But some things are flexible. For example, we were uh, talking about how to uh, talk about median. Mm -hmm. And um, where do you have a number list? If we were to talk about a list of numbers, is, it, is the smallest number at the top and then the biggest number at the bottom, you know, top to bottom? Or is it or is it the, the other way? Or are we talking a number line, left to right? Does that, does that make sense, what, what I'm saying? So where, how did our brain like to picture a list of numbers if we're talking about median, right? Are we picturing it top to bottom list, left to right list, a, um, a cloud of numbers? What, what is the image in mind? Well, I'll ask you, what's the image that you have in mind when I say median? I, I almost always have this as I, I think of my, my my mental model is that of a of a, a teeter totter in a in a playground. Yeah, yeah. Where, where, so I'm so probably the number line where there's there's various masses being placed on that. Right. And so for me, the 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 image that comes to mind is that of of kind of the this balance point fulcrum component to it. But of course, then the median is an interesting point when you're up to thinking about kind of within an ordered set where you place right. that middle middle value. So so one is balance and the other as middled and rank set. So those are, again, that's that idea of the abstraction of these concepts into something that, that we can represent and communicate. We can actually show. Yeah, same thing, mean, right? Mean is going to be that balancing point of a histogram. Yes, so that's... can we create a sign that really conveys that? Yeah. So what's what's the hardest concept to communicate in in an intro stack class when with, with in ASL? Well, 
p-value, let's say just p-value, because oh. that's hard to convey no matter what. Um, it, these things rely on these counterfactuals, you know, statistics relies on counterfactuals, uh, which is abstract yeah. because it, uh, suppose you didn't know what actually happened. All the other things that could have happened, that's difficult in English, but it's definitely difficult when you are trying to make something visual because you're inherently talking about things that are not visual. Yeah, I, there's there's this dependence on knowing that something is conditional on something else. And that's there's a lot of, as you, as you kind of deconstruct it, there's a lot of subtlety. And it, it, it is. Well, um, think about conditional probability, the probability of a given B. So a given, given what? Given, right? That's a very English thing. Yep. So if you already know B, now you enter this world, right. you already know B, now with the probability of A. You're listening to Stats and Stories, and my guest today is statistician and science writer Regina Nuso. You know, you've, you're, we've been talking about communicating abstract concepts using using ASL, and you've talked about kind of this development of new signs. You've you've also been involved in projects with a very different type of modality of presentation, and and I I really love the comic that you worked on. So I, I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about you know what the comic was about, and then maybe we'll we'll dive in a little bit deeper to figure out what led to it in the first place. Thanks. You know, this comic is one of the favorite projects I've ever done. It was for a magazine called Knowable Magazine, which is the lay language or public facing publication of annual reviews. And annual reviews publishes reviews, nothing, journals of reviews in various fields. And I had worked with the editors there before, and they contacted me and said, hey, do you want to write for us? But we're also trying something different. We'd like to try a comic. Are you up for a comic? And anytime an editor says, are you up for dot, 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 then my answer is always yes. So I had never, I have no artistic ability at all, uh, but I really love the idea and the challenge of taking some statistical ideas and making not only a story out of them, but making them visual, very visual. So I looked through the, the various reviews that they had there for me to pick um, and find a, a comic adaptation. And I found a paper by Hal Stern and it was uh, forensic issues, uh, statistical issues in, in forensic science. And I thought, oh, forensic science, well, that's fun. You can bring a little bit of a crime thing in there. You can have a little bit of a story. And I thought I would have at least a chance of talking about applications um, and visual things in statistics around this, this particular idea of forensic science. The problem was that it was uh, talking about likelihood ratios. Ah, yeah, at, at this point, you've lost the audience. Right. <laughs> likelihood ratios how are you going to make that concrete and it's a difficult concept yeah i love I, likelihood so come on regina that's they're awesome <laughs> they they are awesome well what i love about them when i got down to thinking about it is that they're they're a ratio so it means one thing to another right you're comparing two things is the top bigger than the bottom 
is, is what it comes down to. And when I thought about it, I realized, oh, hey, that's kind of fun because you can have this, this uh, one of those old fashioned legal scales. Uh... And a ratio is, is kind of that. It's weighing the top and weighing the bottom. You have weight of evidence on the top and weight of evidence on the bottom. And that's what those, those old scales would do. So I decided that would be my, my visual metaphor. Was that the was that the first metaphor that came to mind once you selected this idea of doing forensic evidence? Oh, good question. Um, it was it was not. I actually considered having some sort of black box or like a, a machine, like a factory thing, and that would have been the easy way out. But I also I didn't like the idea that it kind of perpetuates. I think to non-statisticians that statistics is a black box you put it in and the magic happens and then out pops the answer so so what was being compared in your in your story what were the two the the, the competing states of nature that were compared yeah. as part of this likelihood ratio evidence for prosecution and evidence for defense when okay. you're talking about uh, likelihood ratios in forensic evidence you're saying okay we have uh, let's look at this dna match okay um, Right. So what are the chances that you would have this DNA configuration or this DNA match if the person were really innocent versus the probability that it would happen if they were guilty? So so what was the crime? I mean, I, I feel like I'm, you know, I'm turning into to my favorite mystery series now. <laughs> <laughs> you mean the, the crime that I. Yeah. What was the I crime being investigated in your comic? Oh, my. Well, the first thing is I had to decide what type of. Um, what type of evidence were we looking for? Uh, so Hal Stern in his paper talked a lot about um, fiber fragment, you know, fiber evidence uh, from clothing or uh, glass. So I tried, I actually had little thumbnail sketches. Can I make an entire comic around a thread? <laughs> I really, there's no way to make that visual. And then I tried it with glass and that was not going to happen either. So um, I made it about footprints, which is okay. a shoe print, which is actually easy to see. And then I knew I wanted to make it my villain to be a little non-traditional. Um, so I, I uh, chose a woman named Scarface Diane. Uh -huh. for her. Um, and the, 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 uh, the shoe print was a Birkenstock sandal. Because, <laughs> because most of the bank robbers you've known over the years have worn Birkenstocks, is that it? And that is it. So I, I actually left the crime a little unspecified. I didn't want to get all macabre and have a murder. Um, so there's some sort of crime. Um, but the important thing is that the crime, yes, the, the thief, the suspect wore Birkenstocks. I, I love that you that you were as part of the the formation of this story of this comic that you had while you knew you were going to be comparing evidence giving you know giving guilt or innocence the the nature of the evidence what could be visually communicated clearly and and accessibly was a major part of what had to be decided. 
were there other kind of decisions that you that 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 sort of were similar to that? I mean, I, you did identify the villain. As, as what other what other kinds of decisions needed to be made as you were putting together this this comic? Well, it, just like in any feature story, you have to give a little background. So I had to give a little background on the idea of what's happening in forensic science. Why is this even an issue? Uh, and I had to decide how I would present these presidential commissions and reports and national academies. How was I going to present that visually? Okay. Um, and I ended up doing some creative things around that. It just uh, were, I think at one point I had a, a skywriter, um, you know, carrying a banner through the air. And uh, right, that's the nice thing about comics is that you can get all kind of fanciful and whimsical in there. So, so just to give some a sense of of scale and size, you know, you've written, you know, kind of general general pieces for the sort of science writing and you have a certain number of words that you have. How many words what what how does that compare to a comic that you might be that you worked on in terms of length? That is a great question. I had no idea of the rhythm of a feature, I know the rhythm of a written feature. So I know about how long I spend on the lead and about where the nut graph comes in and, and how long you're going. And I didn't, I didn't know that I had to sketch it all out. So I had an idea of how many, um, how many panels, how many rows would fit okay. in a page and how many pages. So I tried to just you know, divide it up mathematically and say it should be about here that the and I had the rhythm all off when I first got into it, but it, that was just like when I was starting to write too. I didn't know how to do that. But first, I want to um, I want to answer your question because I feel like I didn't do justice to it before. What were some of the decisions I needed to make to make things uh, visual? I think one of the most important uh, decisions I had to make is how was I going to communicate statistics and probability in there? What, because we talk about, oh, statistics to the rescue or, you know, statistics to this. So I decided to make them superheroes. Okay. So I had a cape wearing statistics with a big S and a cape wearing probability with a big P and um, they came crashing through a wall and they had a, a briefcase full of, you know, they open it up and all this great stuff comes out and, you know, um, R code was in there. And um, I, I really wanted to bring the idea of statistics to life, the field, you know, the concepts in there. So they became superheroes. I, I I love that. I, I you know I sometimes talk about it in an intro class that one of the things that students are learning is it was data self defense. You know maybe having a superhero is is even a better a, a better image to have in mind. I I I, I think that's wonderful. Uh, so so I'm just curious when you you had to you so you you were using this piece that had been been published annual reviews related to forensic science you were working on a translation of that into a different modality the comic where the constraints of comic in terms of pages and panels determined the kind of text that you had but then even within that you had to find rhythm in terms of the presentation so so once you once you did did you have kind of ideas about the storyboarding of each of those panels before you enlisted uh, the, the assistance of an artist? I did, I did. I, again, I am not an artist at all. So my storyboarding was just trying to think in terms of panels and uh, what would happen, what was the action happening in each oh, panel? Okay. 
Okay. And a panel is not quite like a paragraph. I would say it would be like a chunk of paragraphs um, where you're kind of conveying one point and then you're moving on and then moving on to the next. So they, they need to have some sort of separation in a way that uh, a different sort of a different sort of beat. Anyway, so I, I sketched it all out with my horrible stick figures and um, to, to see was I taking too long on some things? Could I even hope to make something visual? Um, how am I getting across the idea of a likelihood ratio that's too big? You know, when is enough evidence there? Um, how am I talking about the weights and the scale? Uh, all of that I had to sketch out before I brought in my magical artist. Well, and you said that you had this experience of of what the rhythm of a written feature would would feel like, and and you know it seems like when you're writing with that with the paragraphs that you're writing, you have a certain sense of how much how much punch per paragraph do you have, Ooh. and it, it seems like a panel has to have a lot of punch you know, because they're just, there won't be necessarily as many of them. And that punch has to be integrated with the image that you're, that you're presenting. So I, I find that really fascinating to, to think through that. Can, can you give an example of how you kind of worked with both the image, uh, you know, the, the, you already given us the one, the scales, the, the scales of evidence for the ratio, where was there another picture that you can paint for us from the comic that, that you really loved? So there's, there's one section that I, I felt like I needed to work on to really get the rhythm. And this was trying to get across the idea that a likelihood ratio, unlike hypothesis testing, traditional hypothesis testing, sets up two hypotheses and pits them head to head. Okay. And, uh, you know, not, not just trying to knock down a null hypothesis, but setting up the null hypothesis and the alternative hypothesis, right? The defense and the, the prosecution. And this idea that you want to try to knock it down and um, whichever one you can't knock down. And I ended up using um, a punching bag um, you know, one of those old clowns, the, the inflatable <laughs> clowns, and the defense attorneys trying to punch it down, and the prosecution attorneys trying to punch it down and bring to life that that uh, that idea. And that took a lot of work to get the rhythm of that just right. So, so I'm just curious, uh, what was what's the feedback been like that you've had to the comic? What have you know? What kind of reactions have you have you heard from it? People loved it. You know, one person posted on Twitter and said that they were going to make this their Halloween costume, this probability in statistics <laughs> superhero. And, and I feel like that's as much as you could hope for in life, you know, as a science stats journalist is to inspire someone's Halloween costume. People said, people said it was fun because it it got these ideas across, you know, in this in this different way. And it had a lot of humor in it and uh and they appreciated that i uh, i thought it was a was fascinating and a huge success and in fact recommended it to a number of students and colleagues so i'm i'm one of the fans too although i don't i don't have my superhero costume though so i i've i've not yet reached that level of fandom sorry regina i don't know maybe we should get you a cape i think you're oh, a superhero ooh. all on your own anyway oh, oh man what a silver tongue devil thank you <laughs> well that's all the time we have for this episode of stats and stories regina thank you so much for joining us today 
Thank you. Stats and Stories is a partnership between Miami University's Departments of Statistics and Media Journalism and Film and the American Statistical Association. You can follow us on Twitter, Apple Podcasts, or other places where you find podcasts. If you'd like to share your thoughts on the program, send your email to statsandstories at miamioh.edu or check us out at statsandstories.net. And be sure to listen for future editions of Stats and Stories where we discuss the statistics behind the stories and the stories behind the statistics.